All right, so today we're here with Ben Wobker. Ben is the owner of Lake Washington Physical Therapy in Kirkland, Washington, uh, just east of Seattle. Kirkland also being the home of uh, Costco. Ben is a, not only a private practice owner, but a, an entrepreneur and a husband and father as well. Leads a very balanced life from everything that I can see. So welcome to the show here, Ben. Thanks for having me, Chad. It's awesome. Awesome to connect with you once again. Yeah, I, I really appreciate this. Always looking for uh, you know, disruptive uh, physical therapists that are really pushing the boundaries here. So um, thank you again. I, I, right before this, we were talking a little bit about um, you know, your background in terms of being at uh, Montana. I, I want to go even earlier than that. I know that you played uh, quite a few sports growing up. I think it was uh, basketball, football, and track, if I understand that. Yep, you got that right. Um, you know, I think like many PTs that are listening to this, I found PT through sports. <laughs> Unfortunately, had a series of concussions and, and ankle sprains and knee sprains and that sort of thing, uh, primarily in football, as we see, and uh, very commonly on, on Friday nights. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have an invitation to play football and run track at the University of Montana. Um, I was a hurdler. and uh, But once I got to college, I decided I was kind of tired of being tethered um, to this team schedule and film study and, and, and that sort of thing. So I was watching people that were able to ski and I wasn't allowed to ski as far as your, as far as your contract. And so um, I kind of, along with another concussion, kind of uh, opted out of the college sports scene. And, but we stayed involved in the train room uh, throughout my tenure there. I was in and out of the football train room and covered women's soccer for a number of years as well. So love, love Montana. I worked for the university for a number of years as well, doing PR work and, and recruitment and still consider that kind of my second home and usually give a lecture or two a year there too. So there's a great, great staff of PTs there. Uh, Rich Willie's there now too. And Rich does a great job on, on gate and many of the listeners probably know Rich too. So I'm always trying to get DPT students from there to come do their internships with us. So it's fun, fun time. That's great. So you, you went to Montana, you, uh, earned your master's degree there. How is it? 300 hurdles? Three, 300 hurdles. I did the one tens for a while, but you know, I'm only six foot. So or six footish. Um, the guys that you're competing against, especially as you get to the bigger meets are six, four and, and faster. And, um, I just was not competitive. And, and also I think just like for anybody that's listening to you, like when you kind of lose that passion for that and you kind of see your next Avenue. And I think like you, I have so many interests that to be kind of pigeonholed into that uh, athletics, I was uh, had too many other things that I wanted to do uh, with music and student government and all that kind of stuff. So it was a good transition for me and uh, had a, a safe place to land. I think so many of us, when we're treating athletes, especially professional athletes, is that next chapter is daunting and scary. And I think for me, I was actually trying to turn the page early to get to the next chapter and maybe to to a detriment. I still do that. <laughs> I kind of look, kind of looking too far ahead, trying to peek at the what's 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 on the horizon. Um, but no, it was fun. And so I think you know because of those high school injuries is where my injuries started. Is that you know I started working in a clinic uh, as a volunteer and then later as an aide when I was 15. So I've been in a clinic since, gosh, you know 1991. Um, so it's been a long, long haul, and I've worked in every type of situation that. You know, people run across. Cool. So in the 90s, it looked like uh, that you had a mentor in one of those first clinics. I think it was Ken Roll. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can you tell us about Ken? And it seems like mentorship has played a huge role throughout your career um, and not only being mentored, but also becoming a mentor as well yourself. But can you tell us uh, a little bit about Ken and who he was and what he meant uh, for, for you sure. your career? Yeah, for sure. And this is I think, a good uh, advertisement to help out your local high school. So I met Ken through uh, the the training room primarily. I was watching, he was, he was an ATC and a PT and was the Mariners team trainer as well, along with Rick Griffin. So he did that for about 25 years. So I was enamored with not only the lifestyle, but just the fact that he was helping kids and he was on the sidelines on Friday nights and he would come do uh, career day talks, which is how I got my first application of like what a PT application would look like, even when I was a, a junior in high school. And it was even competitive then as well. And Ken was just a good, uh, solid PT. I think, you know, he was primarily extremities. And my first clinic where I 
where I was worked was a Health South clinic that he had sold to Health South during the first kind of care mark conversion that happened kind of in the in the mid to late 90s. And uh, it was great working alongside him. Got to see a ton of Mariners um, in and out during their glory years, uh, you know, kind of 119 wins, and um, was able to kind of you know get the games and, and that sort of thing. And just picking his brain and and covering his people while he's at spring training was was super fun and, and very influential to me. My sister, ironically, too, was also um, good friends with his daughter. That's not how our connection happened. That was kind of actually a later um, connection that was kind of made, but it was super fun to work under him. And that led to a lot of the foundational things that kind of changed me as a PT and, and kind of have a broader perspective of, of how to treat. Um, you know, he had kind of that training room style that I think we've seen um, across the country where, you know, it was more open tables and, and kind of camaraderie between patients. I think that's super helpful in some ways. And in other ways, I think there was patients that didn't find that comfortable. So it was, I learned a lot from, from those experiences. Cool. Um, just out of curiosity, is, is Ken still around part of your journey today? No, Ken is, Ken, um, it, at least last I heard is back in Montana. He built a cabin in Montana. So he was a lover of Montana. Um, and he's back there. He's got a wife and two daughters. The daughters are, are fully grown. Ken's probably mid to late seventies now. So, okay. um, still was a real active participant in the community up till his final days of treating. And um, then I think he'd been building his cabin on the side and he was ready to, to after 40 plus years in the field, I think he was ready to kind of, um, you know, tap out and <laughs> do something else and get some fly fishing in and, and some hunting. So that was kind of his passion. So it was fun to, fun to watch him kind of realize his goals. And I actually, that's a pretty good motivator to me too, but, but to your, to your previous point for me, I think seeing him and then my, my father was a, was a teacher as well. I think mentoring young PTs has always been a super big passion of mine. And right now we've got about more clinic downtown. We've got about 80 uh, people that were interns or students or aides that are now um, either in PT school or graduate from PT school. So we're very proud of that. My goal was always to get to hundred. I think we're going to hit that sooner than I expected, but I think that's real important for PTs to take students out there. And so that's always my big push is like, this is your, it's your chance to have a 16 week interview with someone as well as make the professional field better for us as a, as a whole, as professionals. And to me, it's an, it's, it's a real, it's not a selfless task because you're still, you're benefiting from it. You know, you're, you're becoming a better PT by explaining things, but I think it also makes us collectively better as a group, which I know is kind of your goal um, with, with your organization is to, to get the most out of private practice. And I think if you're not taking students, I think you should, I think even if it's just one every couple of years, we currently try to take about three per clinic per year. And we typically just not to get up on too big of an offshoot, but I think selecting the right student is actually important too. So we've, we were getting just so many requests is that we actually have made it a little more of a process. So we do an interview currently it's a zoom interview. Um, and we look at a resume and we see if it's going to be somebody who is actually going to maybe stay in this region. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to work for us, but are they going to stay in this region? Is it someone that could work for one of our friends that has a great clinic and uh, someone we're going to see at continue education courses, things like that. So we're kind of putting more investment and in time where we should just kind of take anybody that first come first serve. We've kind of been more selective and our PTs were pretty adamant about that. They wanted to, if they mentored somebody, they wanted them to, you know, they wanted them to stay in Seattle or Portland or Northern California and not, not shoot back to Tampa or something. <laughs> um, not that that's a bad thing, but just, you know, kind of the, I think the sweat equity that they built into that individual, they wanted to see some fruits of their labor. Yeah. I completely agree with you there on mentoring the next generation of PTs. Um, you, you talked about a, a key takeaway with Ken in terms of the training room and that, you know, the, the concept where that was one of the key cognitions that you had during your experience. Is there something that as you personally are taking a, a, a DPT or an aspiring physical therapist through, is there something that uh, you try to impart on them, like a, a key lesson or two that y you want to make sure that then when they walk away from that experience, they really remember that? Yeah, I think there's a number of things, but I think what kind of jumps to mind first is probably listening, which I think, uh, and you and I can talk a lot. <laughs> so I think I, I have to coach myself and I coach my students and interns too, to make sure that they're listening to what the patient has to say. And I think if I can spend the time 50, 50, um, of educating, instructing, but then 50% listening, I think that's a, a, a worthwhile treatment. 
I think from the time they get, if it is a referral, which we're, you know, kind of to your goals of your group too, like we're only about 30 to 40% physician referrals, but you know, typically, and this isn't picking on my physician friends, but usually they've been talked to, it's been a quick visit. Um, they've been kind of rushed through. And when they get to us, I think it's a time for them to kind of, kind of spill everything and kind of talk about it and uh, whether it be their pain or their goals or whatever it may be. And I think a big component of that is listening. So our students, we like to have, make sure that they're compassionate. And this is one of the things that we can tell very early if it's someone we would actually hire is I, I'm not really concerned about the technical skills, probably like you for a new PT. What I am concerned is their empathy, is their ability to organize thoughts in their mind. Can they be professional? Um, those are probably the most important things. You can learn a, a grade four MOB. You can learn how to tape. You can learn these skills. That's what, that's what our mentor program is for when you're on board. That's what Con Ed's for. Um, but you have those innate abilities. And so we also look at schools too, where, where they don't conduct interviews, I think produce PTs that aren't quite as compassionate because uh, they have, you got a 4.0 and a great GRE score. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a great camaraderie or connection with a patient. And that connectedness is so big and you kind of know real, real quickly. I think like, at least for, I'm sure you have a similar feeling is like when you have a patient and you know you're connecting with them. For me, I get kind of goosebumps. Like you know that you have this connection and that they're gonna do what you say and they're gonna get better. Um, and so you can kind of, I can kind of get that sometimes when I'm seeing a student work with someone is you know that that patient is 100% bought in to the confidence and, and, and considering it's a student too and they know that, that it's even more, um, you know, I think important or impressive. Yeah, we, um, I, I did write down as a question, what are the, because I think you have like 45 or so physical therapists right now in yeah. your organization. Um, what are the core values that you look for? The, the way that we say what I, I think I heard you say, and it seems to be the same thing as insistence uh, on outcomes. Yes. And the, the only way you can do that, because the, the right answer in earning your degree and getting the 4.0 is not the same thing as the right answer in the clinic. 100%. So yeah, you, uh, might, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can, you can maybe explain the cellular metabolism of a myofibril or something, you know, but that's not good. Patient doesn't care. They want to know that <laughs> if you put them on the recumbent bike, you put their hand on your shoulder, you look them in the eye, you're listening, you're, you're, you're remembering things. I think things that, um, and I don't do this as a, as a ploy, but things that are important to me is like remembering their spouse's name, that they have a dog, that they have two kids, you know, what are the ages of the kids? Oh, the kids are home from school right now because it, you know, so you're, you're factoring those into their life. And I think that makes what you tell them more authentic. I think it gives you a little bit more grounding into what, what's realistic for their goals. So you can't give this person 25 minutes a day of exercise at home when they've got everybody there, their husband's disrupted. You know, if it's a, if it's a, their spouse or someone is working from home too and disrupted that environment as well. So there, a lot of these people's worlds, especially currently are kind of turned on their heads. So I think being real realistic on, outcomes and, and is is important um, but yeah no i think that's the outcomes are what are going to lead to future referrals that's what's going to lead to google reviews it's going to lead to some of these other things we're going to kind of talk about from a you know the funnel is actually sometimes based on the quality of what you're doing on the, in the actual human interaction yeah completely agree that um the science goes away if that's not there first right i mean i i think actually like the my undergrad was in psychology, but I think I used my psychology degree, um, albeit an undergrad degree, I think I used that 50% of the time, my PT degree 50% of the time. You know, it's, it's much more, more powerful. Um, and I think that's, the, and I watched like the therapists that are, are booked out for four to six to eight weeks or have a waiting list of 50 people. That's, they have those soft skills that are probably innate to them. They probably didn't have to learn them too much. I mean, I think they've improved them, but they just have that in them. So that's the hard part is like when you're interviewing people, especially as, as your group and our group and other groups on the country kind of grow is how do you, that's, that's a tough thing to sift through in a Zoom interview. Yeah. The, just out of uh, curiosity for uh, listeners right now, if uh, a therapist identifies or they self-identify that maybe their soft skills aren't where they need to be, is there a general direction that you usually give somebody something to read, something to watch and exercise right. to do or anything like that? Well, I think like the motivational interviewing work is great. Um, uh, Jeff Warren and that, and that team. I think, um, I think a really interesting thing to do is to kind of almost be kind of a secret shopper 
if you will, like having, having friends or family see a therapist and then talking to you and like what the, they felt was missing. It's kind of interesting. I think for us, the way we have our clinic set up, I can have a good view and, and so could some of our other managers of where what's going on with the individual patient. Is the patient kind of buying in? Is there connectedness there? As far, you know, as far as the soft skills, though, we, we hope to kind of ferret out a lot of that before they come on. And the parts that are kind of rough around the edges or edges that need to be smoothed out, we, uh, for us, we do a dedicated mentor time. So we do um, two, two 45-minute slots per week for the first six months someone comes on board who's probably, you know, a new grad or up to two years. After that, it goes to one time a week for 45 minutes. And that rotates which of the senior therapists is working with them. Um, so that's been a, a really good program for them to be able to ask all kinds of questions. We have a general skeleton of what we'd like the mentor and the mentee to get through. But, you know, we, we also like it to just go where it needs to go. If it's, if it's you're having a problem with an ORIF ankle or you're having a problem with a certain personality of a person. Um, and we get some interesting personalities. We have, you know, we're heavy tech here. So it's a lot of people that are, uh, you know, OCD and, and type A and, and really driven, but also, you know, have some oddities to them and time constraints, you know, working way too much for the most part, especially pre-COVID. So, um, you know, I think getting those, those skills through the mentor time is probably really important as well for us. And I would encourage like most people, um, you know, when they take a job interview, they're like, oh yeah, there's going to be some mentoring. I think I've seen that kind of fall apart when it's not actually dedicated time, you know, when it's not 45 minutes or a half hour one-on-one or it's not weekend stuff or, you know, or co-treats or some, some, some form of uh, watching a senior therapist that has a really strong presence is, is really critical. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'd, I've seen uh, some entry level DPTs take a position where the title was there and yes, we're going to support you. And then they're, they're out on an Island all alone and just no resources at all. So asking what that looks like, uh, from people that have been through the mentorship program before is key. And I love what you said there about the, um, the long onboarding process with the uh, two sessions a week for six months. That's great. Um, I, I know uh, you have a fairly unique business model as well. Um, uh, just to segue uh, from the mentorship, because I, from what I understand, you're also mentoring practice owners as well and, and ultimately owning their own business. So right. can you talk about um, maybe where the decision uh, that you and your wife made, where did that decision come from to start down that path? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the problem in this kind of ties in nicely to what we were speaking of earlier is the problem was we were having too many great people come back and we had nowhere to put them. And so we had people, five, six therapists deep that wanted to come back and work for us, but we had literally no physical space. And we have, our clinic is, you know, I would say a mid-sized clinic at the Kirkland location. It's, you know, we have seven therapists and it's, it's a very efficient space and we've got long hours to kind of accommodate that. We work weekends there too. So it, that helps kind of space everybody out. But, but we didn't ever have the idea to buy the building and, and create a, a big, a ginormous clinic. We actually went more Starbucksian and decided we would do clinics that were nearby that was, you know, probably a safe radius away. So our first one um, that we did in, in 2016 was with Matt Saito and Matt had been my aide in Redmond at my first clinic that I opened, um, which is actually ironically across the street from Hell South, which later put Hell South out of business. But uh, Matt had been my aide there and then he was my student and then he was a PT there. And then he was part of my, my previous partner. He was part of the buyout agreement. So I took a lesser amount so I could have Matt as like my free agent. So Matt came with me and Matt worked with me for about five or six years down in Kirkland. And then he was, in my mind, he was ready. He wasn't, he didn't think he was ready. And I was like, you need to be ready. Cause we were turning away. Uh, this would, this will kill you. And <laughs> that's what you're mentioning. We, we were turning away about 15 new patients a week. Wow. Um, Cause we couldn't fit them in. So we're like, well, we need to just put something. So this, this, our other clinic, which is up by Google's uh, kind of Seattle headquarters is literally probably a half mile away. So it's really in a normal business model be too close, but I think because we had such a capacity issue, we could kind of do it. So that was our first one that we did up there. And then Matt got up quickly up to about seven therapists there. And then we did one in Portland with um, two of my former students as well, Renee James and Jason James, and they're in Wilsonville and they've got a great place called Boone's Landing Physical Therapy. Um, but again, the mentoring of them led to that and they're great partners to work with there. And then 
most recently we did one with my my uh, college aide, uh, Joe, Joe uh, Nance and I worked together as aides at one of the hospitals in college, and that's how I got him. And, I, he, and he was working for big corporate PT, and for like 15 years I was in his ear like, hey, you got to do, not don't have to do this with me, but you need to do this. This is like your goal. You got to do this. And so um, he's had just a, a crazy trajectory. I think you and I talked about on a call a while back, but he went, he opened in 2019 and he's at nine therapists there. So he's um, bigger than our clinic now, which is, I'm excited to say. And so I think the only thing more exciting to me to mentor a, a student PT and get them to a therapist is to mentor a therapist and get them to an ownership or manager level. I think it's, it, it makes me super excited and I love seeing the success and have them reach their goals, much like we do when a patient meets their goals, but this is like a goal that's going to change their, their whole future. You know, and just like the people that you mentor, I mean, you're going to, all of a sudden you're talking about college tuition and paying for weddings and, and all these things that, that these owners are going to have to do. And they couldn't have done it to the, what they had envisioned on their previous salary. So for them, I think it gave them a lot of financial freedom. And then also, I think as you get farther along, time becomes more the valuable asset versus the money. And it sounds cliche, but it, it just does. Like you, when you're young, you have all the time in the world and no money. And, and then you get to a point where you can hopefully have the inverse and time becomes more, more precious. So, um, so those guys have been fun to mentor with. And we have a, much like the mentoring of a new PT, we have a schedule of my time over the first six months of the business and then the second six months of the business and then the second year and the third year. So my time goes down and we have a, situation where they're each individually owned and they're uh, a licensing agreement with us and because of that they get um, some of those benefits built into it um, we ha I have done a fair amount of outside consulting as well and that's that's super fun too to come in and kind of because of that disruption and be able to look at things and be like oh my gosh this is you know this AR has been sitting out for 120 days all those kind of factors that you look in when you start looking at the metrics of the clinic's health um, that's super fun too but it's more uh, rewarding to me not to be kind of a paid mercenary, but to be building it kind of organically with the people that I, I really like and trust. And we have two more clinics that we're about to jump into too. So that got two great business owner partners there that are going to be super great clinicians, 12 and 15 years out of school. They're just like super motivated type A, very organized, uh, great therapists, really good people and soft skills. And that's kind of, um, you know, so I think that's, I think for us, that's like all my way, <laughs> my wife and I can, actually do it's a little too much but. speaking of doing too much i know you have a ton of irons in the fire yeah. um I, I know that you developed a running app um can you are you do you still have attention on that focusing on that and drive yeah. are you doing that yeah the attention on that is is you know that's one of the irons that's probably cool <laughs> it's probably it's been kind of set aside a little bit that my, and my partner there who you may know chris johnson big running pt um, super good friend of mine. We came up with the idea at my birthday party years back on a napkin, kind of classic uh, entrepreneurial kind of story. We're having some, you know, pints at a local brewery and there's people all around talking. It's birthday, you know, kind of birth, birthday atmosphere. And he and I are in the corner, like talking about step steps per minute and cadence and how we could create something with the accelerometer and the phone or the watch. And the watch was coming out, but it wasn't released yet. And so we create, created this company called Run Cadence and it's still up, it's still available on the App Store. It's $2.99, it's about to go free. So we're gonna actually make it a non-profit and uh, just allow people to kind of put their information on where they're at, what's their email, and create kind of a nice Rolodex of running PTs and, and runners around the country, around the world. So we're about, I think, 75, 80,000 downloads now of it. Uh, it was super expensive to build, if anyone's thinking about building apps out there. We built it here in Seattle. We didn't do it in Russia or India or anything. We did it here locally with the company that had done, it was, it, we probably overstepped on the company we used. They did Getty's app and they did Starbucks mobile app. Like, so we paid a premium to make it, we thought really great. And I think it is great, but it, each version you're looking at, you know, a re-release of between five and $10,000 to re-release. So, you know, when you're selling $2 an apps, you know, you're taking away $2 from the app store. It's the, the, the math, um, unless you're huge, huge volumes, the, the, the math and the margins are kind of, um, fairly slim so yeah so that's still alive but it's uh, about to go free so if you're thinking about buying it just just wait about like, three or four more weeks <laughs> all right and and, and just is, as like a point of reference what i understand it to be is uh there, there's an ideal cadence of about 180 steps per minute 
right? That decreases injuries. Correct. If there are therapists that are listening and they yep. uh, work a lot with runners that are in that uh, niche and, you know, my doctor told me I can never run again or I need to stop running and I don't want to. So th what the app does is helps them reach that um, higher cadence threshold. Is that correct? C correct. Yeah. So it gives you the easy ability to assess your cadence and it can be done in your pocket, in your hand or on a strap and, and or the watch. And basically you set the cadence and it uses the accelerometer on the phone to determine where you're at. It gives you some great biofeedback. It uses kind of a Will Ferrell-esque cowbell when you fall out of cadence, at the cadence. I, re I recommend people download it just because it's, it's kind of fun. But uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not, I mean, the, the comments and the negative stuff we get, just like anything online, is that they want it to be like training peaks and in this huge thing, it's going to capture all this data. This, we wanted something very fundamentally simple, and that was a tool that would help you change your cadence. And I know myself, I thought I was 172, 174 steps a minute. And I am, but not later in my run. So what I would find is in my, you know, I get four or five, six miles out and all of a sudden I'm dipping down into the 150s. And that's when I would usually have iliotibial band issues or, or plantar fascial issues. Stride length gets long, you know, you're kind of lumbering along. And um, so that for me, even personally, it was really fun. I, I ran with it religiously probably three times a week for about three years. And um, it, it gives you a lot of great feedback and it, it can run in the background while you're listening to a podcast. You could be listening to your podcast and have the run cadence, um, you know, going in the background. And when you fall out of cadence, then you'll, it'll gives you kind of a warning. And it, I think it's, it's something we were, we were looking at, we had some investors that were interested in taking a big time, but we just didn't have the energy. And Chris has got, if you know, Chris, Chris has got, he's doing triathlon training. He's doing personal coaching. He's doing PT. He's, you know, he's speaking around the world. So, we, neither of us had the bandwidth to take more money from private equity or investors. So we just kind of let it kind of, you know, I guess flounder is probably a good word if you're talking to our wives, but it's, but I think it was still really important for us getting our uh, message out and, you know, Rich Willie has been great and Tom Goom and people that have helped promote the app for us. And that's super, super fun just to connect with those folks um, around the world. Really, really cool. Yeah. You Usually what I've seen from successful uh, app or software developers is the lessons that you learned here. You're going to carry all that software development experience uh, into the future. Yeah. You know, there was, there was kind of a pivotal moment when, when we released the app, there was uh, the in-app purchases was just coming out and, and the guys at, at Substantial, which is the company that helped build it for us. They're like, Hey, do you want to do this in-app purchases thing? It's going to cost a little more, but this could be the trend. You know, we're not sure. Um, so this was 20, 16 2017 something like that and we're like well you know we, we kind of just want to release it and just make it simple and just charge for the app and then what we found is that the app was going to cost 499 and then no one wants to pay really anything for anything so we were like well um you know the app in-app purchases would have been great you could have given like a really limited and then have a in-app purchase for multiple different silos of activity in the app but you know hindsight's 2020 but at the same time i can't complain like we've you know Chris and I grew closer from, from doing that. And we've had uh, so many great talks with people around the world and that that's kind of invaluable in a, in a different sense. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. The freemium model is, uh, has definitely been the trend more recently. Yes. Um, the other thing that I uh, stumbled upon Ben is you, you write quite a bit. So all these balls in the air at the, at the same time. Is there, uh, do you prefer speaking? Do you prefer writing? What's your favorite outlet of creativity? Everything over documentation. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I actually, my, my favorite thing is actually graphic design. So I come from a family of graphic designers in San Francisco. So that's kind of my, my jam. I, I think I write just so I can put graphics in a, in a, in a uh, informational blog or post or that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, I, I enjoy doing things like this quite a bit and I love talking to our owners and I love talking to other therapists. So this is super fun to me. I get energy from that. I'm, I'm kind of a extrovert introvert. So I, I love talking with people and then I also like to retreat and do some drawing and, and graphic work. But for us, we found that, um, you know, the, the blogs started to lead to more relevancy in our search so we started doing more and more blog work and um, that's what led me to, um, I think I'd spoken to you about too. So for about a year, I was the head of um, Luna's marketing and outreach for home, home physical, home outpatient physical therapy. So Luna's a company out of um, kind of Palo Alto area, a great group of 
you know, investors and uh, entrepreneurs there that are, have a startup there. And now they're, I think, in about 16 cities. So they're allowing PTs to be part of the gig economy by delivering PT visits to people's homes. And um, it's, it's been a fantastic model. So for them, I was doing a large amount of blog writing with, with a professional writer as well out of Atlanta. And she was, she was fantastic. And she taught me a lot about SEO writing and triggers and meta tagging and headlines and H1 versus H2s and all these kind of words that you'll see out there if you YouTube or Google uh, SEO. So that's when I started really reinforcing the blog articles. So we have, a, I encourage all of our staff to write them. I think it makes, we get, we get a lot of our organic traffic to those individual staff members uh, because of the articles written. In fact, we have like one about deadlifting. Um, just, a, uh, I mean, Jordan wrote a great article, but it's, it's a fairly simple article and it's, you know, I think 600 to a thousand words and gets 200 visits a week. Yeah. Just, just kind of random, like with no promotion. So it's, those sort of things are kind of interesting. So I think that kind of reinforced like where that I needed to do more of that uh, writing. And um, I'd like to do more. I've got probably like you, I've got like 20 articles I've started. I just, I, I'm not getting enough flights now. I was flying down to California a lot and I was doing a lot of my blog writing on the on flights, uh, doing the, the, the air, uh, was it Boingo or whatever, whatever it is um, on, on Delta and Alaska. And um so I'm not doing as much writing as I should, but uh, I like it a lot. I think it's really important for our field and as well as important for our businesses. A couple follow-up questions. Um, the connection to Atlanta, you said there was a professional writer there? Yeah. You're from Atlanta, is that right? I'm, fr I'm from Atlanta originally, yeah. I was born in Atlanta, moved out here when I was about, in the Seattle area, until when I was about 10. Okay. And then my, my son was born in Atlanta too, which is ironic. So he, he was adopted and we adopted him from Atlanta. Um, gosh, many years later, just about six years ago. So, so is that all a coincidence? Like all, all roads lead to Atlanta? All leads, all roads lead to Atlanta to, to Northridge hospital. Uh, so that's kind of really kind of eerie and kind of strange, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, 30, 35 years later adopting in Atlanta. Fair enough. Um, so, and the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, can you just explain for everybody the mechanism of what you're doing, uh, with a blog post, how that came to be, you know, what was the origin of that? What were you trying to accomplish? And now how do you get, you know, I have physical therapist, how can I possibly get them to, to write for the blog? It just seems like one more thing that they have to do. Can you talk about how you think through that? Yeah, the, um, so it kind of happened organically just we. We re rebuilt our website. I'd done our first website in HTML um, just because I thought it was interesting. <laughs> My cousin and I built it. He was a, he's a professional web designer, but we built it together. And it was, it was a very successful and we, we, but it was getting difficult to manage and I wanted to have permissions for other people to write and do things like that on it. So we, we actually switched over to Squarespace about five years ago, which, you know, if you're in the SEO world, it's, it's, there's some questions on its ability to get traction with Metacron and, and, and things with, with Google. But it, for me, it's a simplicity thing and it's less of a headache. So we started doing some writing on there and we started seeing that these blog posts actually got good traction. And, and we had done a good job early on of, of email capture. And so we would capture email from people visiting the website, from people at our races that you know, I, I put on some races as well. So we have a, an email list and we have articles that are kind of catered to runners or about cadence or about Achilles tendinopathy or whatever it may be. So we started having more and more of those articles that were kind of relevant based on our um, roster of emails that we had. So we started doing that and that really generated a lot of traffic. And then the trap, what we find is that there's a strong correlation and you, you probably have a better way of um, looking at this than I do, but I find that the correlation is, is, if you're seeing an uptick in web traffic, we're seeing an uptick in new patient visits. We're seeing a better retention of visits. We're getting people that are more uh, appropriate for our setting. So if we can have an article that's aimed at skiers or runners, that's the therapist, what they like to see. And so when you talk about how do you motivate a therapist to write an article? Well, I think for me, at least as a therapist, I want to see the type of patients I like to see. And it has nothing to do with personality. It's more like injury type and activity and things that you're an expert in. Like if I see, if we get a referral for a quarterback, I'm like totally jazzed. I can totally work on mechanics and that sort of thing. So if I write an article about quarterbacking and, and say ulnar collateral ligament soreness related to quarterbacking, then it drives clicks and it drives, you know, maybe I only get a couple of quarterbacks from that article, but it keeps me happy as well. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I'm seeing quarterbacks. And then all of a sudden you kind of build this 
kind of guru status, whether you're choosing to or not, but all of a sudden you're the person to go see for ballet or you're, the, you know, I think it allows the therapist to really differentiate themselves without saying, Oh, I only see ankles or I like what the clinics I worked at when I was young where well, he, he does elbows and she does hip. And it's like, well, how about, you know, you can kind of go after like a sport or recreational activity or hobby. I think it allows the therapist to really kind of differentiate themselves in that, in that realm. So we have a couple of people that write articles specifically for CrossFit um, that love CrossFit and they, they spend time in the CrossFit gym. And that's been really beneficial to them. Um, as far as the, the mechanics, it, I mean, it's kind of a, probably a two hour podcast on that, but the, um, what we found is that the tagging is super critical on how you do it. You know, obviously what I usually do is I have the therapist write the article and then I edit it and I edit it for content grammar, of course, but I want to, I want to put references and links. You want to link out to relevant websites that have good traction within Google's SEO. And how do you know what that is? Well, if you're writing an article on, let's see, we're writing on one on patellar tendinopathy just recently. And so I'll have actually use a definition and link to WebMD, even though it's not the best explanation of what patellar tendinopathy is, but they have a, a page on that. And WebMD is obviously highly relevant with it for the search engine optimization for Google. So when Google crawls for sites, then WebMD, it shows that we're actually referring to not ourselves, but also to very high value, what they consider high value targets outside of, of our ecosystem. I think it's also important though to link back to the therapists and their bio. It's important to link to other articles that you may have written, important to link to other um, anatomy kind of descriptions you might have on your page already, or to even a, a friends or colleagues. Like a lot of my colleagues will, you know, I'll have friends write a guest blog. We'll, we'll, we'll do some trading back and forth there because having someone else linked to you has a lot of value as well. The, so the kind of interlinking versus intralinking. So we're kind of doing a little bit of both of those things. Then, you know, meta tagging your images um, and hopefully you're using, you know, good images that are representative of what you're trying to talk about. And I think, you know, there's some debate out there, but you can tag the image. If it's an image of a patella, a patella you can say, you know, kneecap patella, why is there pain here? And I think answering questions in the blog is pretty important. So a lot of our headings are H1s, which are called, that's like your top heading, would be a question. Why is my knee hurt while I'm hiking? Or um, why is the descent so hard when I'm hiking without poles? Those, those are things, that's, those are questions that you can have answered. And I think if you're, if you're looking for actually, well, I don't know what even to write is a headline. If you, if you search in Google on the top, but then you can look to the bottom of the page and it says, what are other people searching for? There's your blogs right there. It's basically, why is my knee hurt after two miles? You know, those, those sort of questions. And then the ones that are more niche actually create more relevance. So if you had, you know, why am I, why is my back so sore after a zoom call? <laughs> That's a very specific thing, but there's someone out there searching for it and then they're going to, it's going to drive to you versus like, why is my back sore? Well, that's going to have a, a, a bunch of paid ads and, and be difficult to get traction into that, that world. Yeah. So that's kind of a long answer. But again, I think if you kind of break down the article, there's, there's debate to you, you might have your own thoughts like 600 versus 2000 words. It's kind of gone back and forth. There's, there was a recent Google update that kind of, seems to bias a little bit of the shorter articles. When I was writing articles for Luna, we were doing, you know, 1500 to 2500 word articles, which are pretty long. Those are like multiple scrolls. Um, the other thing though, I would say, um, this might tie into what, what you were going to go with next and maybe not, but I find that uh, linking to YouTube pages, um, embedding into the page is helpful. And for this reason is that when people stop to read your article, Google is looking at how long people spend on that page if they decide to watch the embedded video on that page, it shows that someone has spent an excessive amount of time on your page interacting. And so that becomes more relevant. So the, the embeds become important. And then you could make an argument like, yeah, you want to embed some of your own content, but we've had actually really good luck embedding other people's content, meaning that we have a, on that deadlift page, it gets a lot of traction for us. We have an embed of someone like the most popular deadlifting uh, de demonstration in YouTube is embedded on our page. So it, it kind of, I think it helps us on our relevancy for Google. Cause like, okay, they're embedding with quality content and this, this page has got 7 million views. It's, it's really relevant. So I think there's some factors there. 
And then Google, of course, is going to love embeds from YouTube and not as much from Instagram. So <laughs> weird, but that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's what we found. Yeah. So it's Steffi Cohen deadlifting 525 at 125 or whatever. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Great. So, um, and just as a point of reference for everybody, that's, that was the, uh, I think the first woman to deadlift and she's also a physical therapist, uh, but first, she's a beast. yeah, to, uh, to deadlift, I think 4.4 times her body weight or something like that. I think she did 540 at 123 or something ridiculous like uh, that. I need, um, I need to get, I need to get some of her CRISPR genes. Get some of that, <laughs> I need to get some of that DNA. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, wild stuff. Um, so you said a lot in there and meant a lot of that is very, very high level um, uh, uh, in terms of advanced, you, you were talking about, you know, embedding videos and the blog post. Um, I just want to take a step back with you here a second, because mm -hmm. I think there were some assumptions. And like, if we look at the industry as a whole, especially private practice PT, you know, you have a waiting list, right? Almost every private practice owner would aspire to have that problem of patients waiting to get in or, you know, turning patients away. Uh, we we want to create that. And when I look into the marketplace um, and I, I've seen your blog post, the way that you're running ads, um, everything at least that I can see uh, from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, without being, you know, in yeah. Google and, and or in uh, Seattle and running a Google search. But um, as I'm looking at that, you are very patient centric, patient focused. Um, and you seem to be, 100% uh, just delivering value to the patient with no call to action at all. Most therapists that I see when I, and you know, I'm in uh, corporate headquarters for select is literally 13 miles mm -hmm. right there. Right. We have other large corporate competitors and I see their ads and they're very, you know, we're the premier, we're the largest, we're the biggest, we're basically we're some version of we're the best. Right. So my guess is somewhere along the line, you, probably tried that you you saw that maybe in, in therapy and you, you made a pivot you made a switch you started studying you know, how to deliver uh, patient focused marketing delivering good goodwill to the patient uh, dogs are great you can bring the dog in <laughs> don't hold yellow lab we got amazon deliveries happening oh great um, so like can you talk about how you made that transformation to go from like hey we're a great physical therapist at lake washington pt and we help you know, we worked with the Mariners or we did something like that over to how do I deliver um, very valuable content to a specific niche of people? Yeah, we, we made that pivot probably pretty early on. Um, my previous partner in my first clinic didn't like to advertise at all. <clears throat> no one really knew we were there other than the fact that I was doing all the high school outreach and, and covering games and doing that sort of thing. We did, we did very, very limited marketing or advertising. I think his thought was, and it was kind of old school, was that we do a great job, people will find us. Um, I think which is a very, you know, I think that was a very common thought process for PTs in general. I think PTs have gotten, um, taken a little bit more of a page from the chiropractic or fitness world over the last maybe five to 10 years where they're actually willing to talk about what they do, which PTs for years were kind of, you know, in office building H level two, like you didn't, Oh, there's a PT there, you know? So I think from the very get go, like we wanted to be more front and center. Like our, our clinic locations are, are in retail areas with, uh, you know, high visibility signage and that sort of thing. Um, that's kind of what we always shot for from the marketing standpoint. Um, I, like you said, a lot of our competitors were the best, we're premium, we're the max, you know, <laughs> whatever. We're going to give you the best. Um, I think we've kind of let our patient driven content, kind of let people know that from the standpoint of the speakers that we have, we've done about 86, 87 um, on person, in person and, and webinar based events where we have some of the top physicians in the, in the whole region coming in to, to do free talks for us, for our, for our patients and for our audience. And I think people then start to associate you with the best physicians in the area. And that kind of makes easy sense. I think for us, even when we're covering events like schools or at races or things like that, I've never wanted to once capture a patient that day. I want them to know that we're there. I, if they want to come over and ask questions and that sort of thing, but you know, we're, we're never, we're not in the street for a model of like, Oh, your back's all messed up. We need to see you on Monday. Um, that, which is kind of when I was, when I was first starting at health South, that was very much the model. And I was very turned off by it. You know, how Health South was the best at everything, you know, including che cheating the sec. They're, they're fantastic. Um, so 
I think we wanted to have something a little more authentic than that. And I think patients, whether they know it consciously or subconsciously, I think it resonates. Um, but it took, yeah, it took a little while. And I think, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with the call to action, but I think the call to action needs to be, in my opinion, needs to be something that, that feels genuine, whether it be like, Hey, I'm signing up for, for, for Chad's webinar on total knee replacement. You're going to give them information for free and let them know, you know, who to see in the area, you know, that would be the best for their outcomes or what are the outcomes? Those sort of things that I think that means a lot to people getting a lot of free stuff, kind of the freemium model, but in a different, you know, different way. Um, when we were, when I was at Luna, was very much call to action, um, trans, you know, transactional. Like you click on this Facebook ad, you go here, we need to schedule today, call today, call now, call, we'll get you in. You know, um, I think we've never wanted to look desperate. And I think I like to market when we're full. And um, I think one of the big mistakes that I've seen with people over the years is that in all businesses, but because I've been involved with like the chamber and all kind of stuff, but most businesses, especially in PT, is that they market when they're, they look, they look next week and they said, Oh my gosh, my schedule's empty. I got to start marketing today. I say, well, no, you need to start marketing like four weeks ago. You need to be looking, your time horizon needs to be, in my opinion, like I look six weeks out and I'm like, and that's probably like you said, like a little bit of luxury, but it's because I've always looked six weeks out, well, we got to throttle Google ads and YouTube ads and, and Facebook. We need to do an event. We need to get some, get some buzz going. We need to you know, put our email newsletter together sooner than I thought. Um, so looking at those kind of kind of the horizon of what your patient bookings looks like, um, I think is super critical. And so many of the business owners that you probably work with and that I work with, they don't even know what their metrics are. They just, they're kind of just flying by their seat of their pants from day to day, week to week. And if you're, if you're operating like that, then it's going to become very, very stressful. So my most stressed out clinic owners that I've talked to over the years are people that have no 30,000 foot view. They have no programming of content or forecasting of what their schedule could look like which changes everything like if you don't know what your bookings are going to look like you can't it's tougher to do annual reviews you don't know what you know you don't know what to kind of raise to give someone because you don't know how busy you're going to be you don't know what your ar you know it's it's, it's mind-boggling it's kind of mind-boggling but again i'm kind of like a I, lo I love the data dive so and that's not most therapists aren't that's not them they go into therapy because they want to do hands-on and, and i and i get that and that's but i think you need to have someone involved with your company that does enjoy that or does have expertise in that or if not you know third party like what you guys are doing you know, have someone that can kind of do some of these outreach and events and, and planning and marketing and advertising for you yeah so, sorry yeah. long-winded no 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 <laughs> that's perfect um and it sounds like uh something that we've discovered as well and especially over the last 12 months i've been hyper focused on talking with multiple owners every week i think that's how we ended up meeting. Yeah. Um, and what I've noticed is as we go along our uh, private practice journey, very difficult to think day to day and have short-term thinking and support an organization of, um, you know, a hundred locations or anything like that, that, that the time frame grows to uh, literally years. Um, with a, a practice I talked with two weeks ago, I mean, they, they have a three year time. They're looking three years in the future for, opening location and they also have nearly 200 locations but um you know in terms of opening uh their you know how they're building their marketing systems out how they're building their physical therapy uh, recruitment system and development systems out it's it's very long term that uh the, the short-term thinking that most of us have as solopreneurs which about 50 percent of private practices are solopreneur in nature very difficult to do so um, because, you know, we're having to do everything we have to treat and we have to, we're involved with billing and scheduling and marketing and, um, all trying to, uh, yeah, juggle too many balls in the air at once. It's a lot of, it's a lot of balls. It's a lot of juggling. And, um, and so many people that open practices are really just great therapists, yeah. you know, they're really good at that. And that's, you see that when every field, right? Like the, the, my, my best programmers that I work with are now managers, but they've never managed people. But, but now, but now because they were so successful as a programmer, now they've been promoted because there's nowhere else to put them. And so now they're managing people and they're like, well, I don't, not only do I not like managing people, I'm not good at managing people. And um, so I think, you know, maybe recognizing those rising stars in your organizations or hiring people outside that can do these things is, is critical. And that's not a pitch for you guys. That's just literally what I see um, when you don't have a five or six tool 
uh, owner, manager, CEO. It's just difficult. And we've even talked about that, like not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but looking, you know, looking at those timelines is like, what do I even do with myself? If I'm doing graphics and posting and writing and blogging and marketing and ad clicks and all this, all this stuff, shooting video, everything is what happens when I try to step back, like who takes on that and how many people do you hire and in what capacity do you do that sort of thing? So um, it's something worth uh, definitely some introspection for everybody listening on like what, how do you manage that um, as a, as a business owner or even as a, as a, as a local branch manager too. Yeah, building systems, teams, stable infrastructure, pretty, pretty key to scaling. Um, question for you on your Facebook group. I, I know you have about uh, 12,000 people plus in the physical therapy Facebook group. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about um, your purpose there? It seems like sharing a lot on clinical research and helping elevate the game uh, clinically of PTs. Can you talk about how that came to be and what your, your role and mission is there? Yeah, well, it was just, it was about 2007 and I had one of our aides, so a, a great guy who's a PT now. And he's like, Hey, you know, I think you need to get a, a Facebook page. And like at the time, if people remember, you had to be in college to have a Facebook page. So he, he sent me an invite and I had to pretend like I was in college and I got my Facebook page set up. And from there, I was, they, these, they started introducing this thing called groups. And so I was like, you know, we should probably start a, I guess I start a group. And I, I was going to make it very local centric at first, like a group for local PTs in Seattle, which is what it was initially. But then I was like, well, let's just go with a broader name, just call it physical therapists, which pretty boring. But um, we started, you know, really getting traction over the last probably five years and, you know, probably about a thousand to 2000 members a year. And what we really encouraged is, you know, no, no advertising, no, no tools for selling e-stem and things like that, or even really spammy looking courses, but just, you got a great research article, put it up there. So anybody listening, definitely join the PT group. I have to approve everybody. I have to approve every post because there's just, there's literally like 60 to 70 spam posts a day. So we try to, we try to make it valuable for the members. So they're not just getting junk constantly. Um, so there's some people that put really great stuff out that are on there. And um, we love having, you know, content that people can kind of share back and forth. A lot of things right now are about the vaccine so there's ways to sign up in different cities and who do you connect with? And so there's been a lot of good discussions and I can always tell if it's a good post from like the quality of the clinicians that I see on there that are all participating. So yeah, anything that people have definitely get up on there because it, we want, we want it to be shared. Yeah, no, it's, got a, it's got a great audience around the world. So just want to compliment you as well, because I, I play Facebook group police occasionally mm -hmm. <laughs> as a, um, especially during the day. Um, but uh, the content in there is very well curated. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen anything since I've been in, I've never seen anything spammy or anything like that, which is uh, great. So well, well done there, because I know well, that yeah, takes some work. We had a one guy, Gary, out of Michigan, who was um, sharing nude pics to people. So I had to, that, was, that was my, one, my, my major policing, was Gary had to be kicked off, not only our group, but he got, ended up getting kicked off the platform. Um, so I was... <laughs> Sorry, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we can exchange out more stories uh, at some point as well. So um, some really great stuff here. Love what you shared about, um, you know, your, the mentorship model, not only growing up, but also how you brought that not only for DPTs, but also in your practice model as well in the unique system you have there. You also covered uh, the, the blog post and how you're delivering highly specific goodwill content to specific uh, target markets uh, and really growing organically through that. Um, you were willing to share uh, about, um, I just blanked on the name of your app. Uh, oh, Run Cadence. Yeah, yeah Run yeah. Cadence. Um, as, and some valuable lessons in there. So a couple personal things, then we'll let you share whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Dogs, Navin. Na yep, Nav yep, Navin. After, or if anyone's a fan of The Jerk with Steve Martin. Navin R. Johnson, that's a old school reference that ages me, but yeah. So he was our, our first yellow lab. I think he's gone now, but. Awesome. Gotta, awesome. And you have another one? Yeah. We have another okay. little one, Dagny, who's back there sleeping. I don't know if you can see her. She's sleeping in the back there. Great. Um, yep. And then a little six-year-old boy, Trajan. So named after Trajan, the Roman emperor, which is where, that was what we named all of our IVF embryos. 
And then, like I said, mentioned earlier, we ended up adopting Trajan and we were flying to, to Atlanta to pick him up. And he, he, he wasn't quite born yet. He was born while we were flying in. And, um, it, you know, I'm like, well, we're we going to call him Trajan. You know, cause we call all of our embryos Trajan. We're like, I don't know. Like, what, we should probably know a little more about this Trajan guy. <laughs> so we're like on Wikipedia on the airline, like kind of, I'm like, oh my gosh. So Trajan, so this always kind of gave us goosebumps, but like, so we look it up and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe that. Cause we always just liked the name. And Trajan was the first uh, Roman emperor to set up orphanages in Rome because there weren't any places for children to be adopted. And he himself was adopted. And so we're like, oh my gosh, well, this is uh, fantastic. This is perfect, um, you know, fitting for him. So, Very so cool that's my, tra- my Trajan story. Soon to be working in the clinic, I hope. Get some towel, <laughs> get some towel, get some towel fold in here pretty soon. That's great. Um, and then a uh, favorite uh, Pearl Jam album? Well, you know, I think 10 is the easy one, but I, which is behind me here. But, uh, I, you know, I, I'm still a big fan of Yield, which was about 1998. And, um, you know, Versus is classic, too. I've seen Pearl Jam a bunch of times, um, have a chance to. I think I've got, I can spin you around here. You can see Eddie, Eddie's up on the wall, if you can see that. Um, so, Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah, Rolling Stone, Eddie, Eddie better there. Um, so I, I like, I like memorabilia. Like our clinic is just plastered with auctions from different charities. Um, yeah. And I was going to mention too, I, I kind of was remiss on the blog thing too. I think for so many PTs out there, when you're talking about in one of your podcasts, you know, reaching out to physicians, like what, why should I send people to you? I think there's also some, some great stuff there where if you're writing a blog, get, get a couple of quotes from your favorite physician that's down the street. They don't have to write it, which it's difficult. You know, they're busy folks too. Um, but they'll love them. You can cross link back to their page too. So that's something I kind of forgot to mention earlier, which I think is, I think most PTs are hesitant to talk to physicians. Um, and I think more and more like we're important to them as a profession, we're driving business to those guys. So I think, or, and gals, I think it's um, real important to, to let them know that, you know, Hey, I'm writing this great article about thoracic outlet syndrome and you're, you're the expert in the area. Can I get a couple of quotes about what you see? And, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I can give you a couple of quotes, you know, so it's pretty simple. Um, and then, you know, get an email from that physician and all of a sudden you've got a, um, a good connectedness with your local medical community. Smart. Um, yeah, sorry. That was, uh, that was kind of probably from earlier in the conversation, but I, I thought I've been remiss not to engage. I, just like you, I'm trying to, I just want PTs to be as spot on as we can be as a profession. Cause then rising, rising tide on all of us. Awesome stuff there. Um, w- one final question for you, Ben. Um, twenty twenty one. What are you most focused on uh, this year, either for the yeah. profession or for your businesses? Yeah, twenty twenty one should be, I think, a fantastic year. And I'm kind of a glasses half full. If you couldn't tell in the interview for folks out there, you know me a little better than some of the viewers or listeners there. Um, I'm super bullish. I think uh, you know, we already saw the Medicare cut get decreased. The Medicare cut got cut just a little bit. I'm optimistic on um, what the congressional budget will look like from a Medicare standpoint. I think we may end up seeing, there's rumors out there that we may see even less of a cut. Uh, we may see a long-term kind of plan on what happens with, with Medicare funding for folks. Now, we're not heavily Medicare at our clinic, but I think it's still important for the field. Um, I think you're going to see, at least in Seattle here, we're still kind of locked down to a degree. Um, people at home, I think we're going to see high school sports for us return in March. And I think with people's vaccinations, you're going to see just a, a ton of people out being active more than ever before. And with that, the people haven't been doing their, you haven't been doing the work at home. So I think there's going to be a lot of soft tissue injuries, just like we saw with the NFL. There's going to be a real opportunity for PTs to get out there and be the leaders in their local communities on injury. And I think that will be really important. Um, what we've seen here is we've started uh, delivering visits as well. And that's been a very beneficial thing. So if you have a total hip patient, you have a total knee patient um, and you can see them from start to finish, the continuity of care and the outcomes are better. And I think we're seeing the trend towards that in our area where orthopedists are asking for that. Um, but I think overall, I'm just, I think, you know, we, we, the second stimulus will kind of be in, in place and you guys did some great job, a great, great couple of early YouTube and webinars on PPP. And when everything was uncertain, I think you were, your guests and yourself were, always optimistic. And that's how I kind of, I think I kind of gravitated towards your video because of that. I think there's going to be a real 
excitement of people returning to things. And I think there'll still be, I saw my wife earlier, I think there's still going to be a higher level of unemployment than what we're expecting on kind of the V-shape of this end of the lockdown vaccine. But I think it's still going to be a, a really strong economic return, um, just from an investment standpoint, as well as people investing in their businesses. And, um, and, and, and I always kind of think of like, it, it's a rising tide for us too, right? We want, we want, in our area, we want our tech company people back in their offices. We want those good benefit jobs that have great PT benefits, uh, people out being busy, and that's what keeps us all in business. Uh, but it's also important for the community, like psycho psychologically, to kind of get back out and, and do things again, too. So there's going to be an interesting um, six months here. I mean, our staff has been uh, vaccinated on the first round. We're getting a second shot here in a couple of weeks, um, which will help us feel like we're not threading the needle. We were kind of like throwing a no-hitter. Uh, for the last 10 months or nine months or whatever it's been. And it will feel good to kind of have at least a little bit of cushion <laughs> where people can be, uh, have a, do a little more. Cause our staff has been fantastic. Like we've got a, a really great team. Everyone loves their, their own team, but I, I, I've just been super impressed with people's willingness to come back to work um, as well as their willingness to curtail social activities, as well as their, their professionalism with keeping their patients safe. So we've been really fortunate there. And I think most PTs around the country from what I've talked to have been, um, but we're really excited to kind of get back together as a team outside of work and, you know, have a beer, have dinner, do things like that, that we've always done. And it's been really important in the growth of our, our team and, and continuity and morale. And we haven't been able to really do any of that stuff for, you know, a better part of a year. So we're, we're excited about that sort of thing too. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts or how, what's your optimism as we, enter into 2021 i'll well, turn the question around on you it, it's funny that you said that uh right before i left uh the, the house here to come in and uh talk with you i was talking with my wife and uh the latest masters of scale was on loneliness and they had an expert mm -hmm. on and uh she referenced uh the great influenza which i mean that i think it was in the bill gates summertime reading last year but it's yeah. basically an account of the uh flu in 1918 and her key point was, you know, we're human by nature. And even, you know, you and I are meeting on Zoom right now, and it's significantly different than talking live and, you know, having a beer. And uh, it, it's, it's a whole different experience. And we're not really made <laughs> uh, or we haven't evolved to, to interact like this. And uh, so she talked about that loneliness and how, you know, basically now in colleges, they're having to teach incoming freshmen how to have human interactions uh with live human beings which is <laughs> very yeah very scary because she was not joking in any way at all right. so i think what we're going to see the same as yours and literally i had my that was me going to get my first round uh today first round of the vaccine today so nice. congratulations yeah th thanks uh yeah we just there's a local hospital system we got in uh with there were two local hospital systems. We were on the waiting list. They opened up 70 for us so everybody could go get uh, first round of vaccinations if they choose to. Um, so I was listening to this podcast. My wife and I were talking about it. I said, I think we're going to see this huge influx of extreme <laughs> social behavior uh, probably for the next five or 10 years on, on the tail end of this because now, you know, I, I didn't really like to travel in the past if you would have asked me a year ago. Um, right. to be traveling all the time. I love the experiences, but I didn't like to hop on a flight. I could care less now about hopping on a flight. I just yeah. want to go somewhere just, other than Harrisburg, just, Pennsylvania. <laughs> just get me out of here. Yes. Yeah, there, uh, no, I think, I think it's going to be just a surge of that. And I think um, it will, it'll just be, I, I don't know if you noticed this, if the, if the team was there when you got vaccinated, like we, we got vaccinated at, uh, at a Kaiser. They, Kaiser like stepped up and everyone's like, wow, I always thought poorly of Kaiser. And now I actually like Kaiser. So they have like a, you know, observation area. And so we all had our shots and we're like, there and like, like, this feels awesome. It feels like we're on the first step to uh, whatever the new normal is. That's kind of overused, but like whatever the new normal is that we're, we're on the pathway to that. And I think it's, that's super exciting. And I, I agree that like the tra travel is going to be huge. And I think once again, like millennials were already kind of doubling down on experiences over stuff. And I think that PTs, again, I'm obviously we're both bullish on PT, but I think PTs are the avenue to experiences. Um, we're not the avenue to stuff. And I think that's okay. Like, I think, I think people buying a fancier car right now, they could care less. They want to go hike the Himalayas, go to Machu Picchu. They want to do things that are life fulfilling, not filling up their house with stuff. So 
Um, I think we've all spent enough time in our houses, like the last nine to 10 months, I think um, getting on those co-ed soccer teams and all that kind of stuff is going to be really important to people. And I think that's, it, it totally, like if I was buying stock, I would buy stock in PT. Like I think it's going to be like the, the next wave of activity. There's gonna be like this surge of euphoria. And then there's going to be, unfortunately, the injuries that come along with that euphoria. Um, I think that starts with high school sports and then it trickles into the rest of us, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm super bullish and I can't, I look forward to being on the other side of everything. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my take. But I'm always, I'm always kind of optimistic. There's always to me there's always an opportunity. Um, I always call it the salmon reflex. I'm always I'm always kind of typically contrarian to like everyone's gloom and doom. Or I'm like, oh, there's gloom and doom. There's an opportunity. You know, there's <laughs> that's, a, that's there's no hero without a a battle, right? No. <laughs> absolutely so uh yeah that couldn't agree with you more ben uh very out of respect for your time very much appreciate you being on here yeah lots of nuggets um this was a huge block of time so thank you very much for doing this hey no worries anybody and people can always um they can always reach out to me too if they if they yeah, want what's the best way to do that um you know probably just through uh email realistically that's just ben w-o-b-k-e-r at lake washington pt.com 